0: The following message, entitled, A Faith Worth Fighting For, Part 3 of the series, Christ Over All, was given by Stephen Altrogi on the 26th of August, 2012 at Sovereign Grace Church of Indiana, Pennsylvania. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. Good morning, everyone. My is Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks for being here this morning. If you could open in your Bibles to the book of Colossians. We are going to be in Colossians 124 this morning. We're in a series called Christ Above All from the book of Colossians. And the title of this morning's message is A Faith Worth Fighting For. Now, I know some of you grammar Nazis are going to get on me for ending my sentence with a preposition, but my, my dad told me I had to put the word for on the end because it didn't make sense without it. So, just bear with me. I was home-teached, and that's how we do things <laughs> at, at home. Um, uh, before I get started, could I ask a special favor of you, especially of the teens? I want to ask a special favor of the teens. Uh, this is my iPhone. You know what I can do with this iPhone? Everything. I can do anything I want. I could update my Facebook status right now to say, Preaching, yo, LOL, with a little <laughs> smiley face. I could check the weather. You know what else I can do, though? Here's what I've found, ab- Here's what I've found about my phone it gets kind of distracting at times. Hey, Bob. Yeah, uh, the Goodwill called and they want your shirt back. <laughs> All right, see ya. See, my phone is... My wife, Jen, will tell you, I am so easily distracted by my phone. I will see it laying there on a table and I'll be like, ooh, I wonder if somebody sent me a new email. Here in church, I can be just as easily distracted and tempted. And so what I want to ask you to do is if you would mind turning your phone off. And the only reason I ask that is I know how I, how distracted, easily distracted I am. And the reason I don't want us to be distracted is because this is God's word we're about to study. And this is something that is precious and valuable. And I don't want anything to distract us from this. And I know... I'm easily distracted. I'm sure you're just like me. So if you wouldn't mind turning off your phone. Now, one exception, some of you, uh, and I do this too, have uh, the Bible app on your phone, and you don't bring your Bible, you just bring your app. I've done that too. It's okay to read your Bible on your phone. I just would ask that just don't update your Facebook status while you're reading your Bible app. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And then you can turn your phone on as soon as we're done. Um, Colossians 1, 24, and we're going to be going down through chapter 2, verse 5, and there are certain things that really aren't worth fighting over. For example, I was reading in a, a newspaper about a Little League game this past July, and at the end of the game, a woman from the winning team was playing music rather loudly to celebrate... The victory over the losing team. And a woman, a parent from the losing team, uh, took offense at that and asked if the music could be turned down. Maybe because she thought it was irritating to the kids or whatever. And you'd think, all right, no problem, right? No question, no further questions. Needed. Well, that's what you would think, but wrong. Here's what the Atlanta Journal said. Quote, words were exchanged. And two husky men began duking it out and rolling around on the ground. And when I read the article, my first question was, why did they use the word husky? Like, was that really necessary? (laughs) gave me this odd image in my head. But my second question is, was it really worth something, was it really worth fighting about? Obviously not. But clearly, we know there are things worth fighting over. Freedom is worth fighting for. And I'm so grateful for all the men and women who have sacrificed their lives to give us freedom. And justice is worth fighting over. And the safety of our families is worth a fight. And the more something is worth, the more valuable something is, the more we should be willing to go to battle over it, right? The more precious something is, the more willing we should be to fight for it. And this morning in Colossians, we're going to see that Jesus Christ and the gospel of salvation are worth fighting over. And that Jesus is the most valuable person in the universe, and therefore He is worth the greatest struggle. So let's read this together, Colossians, starting in Colossians one twenty four. This is Paul writing, and he says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body, that is the church. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the Word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to His saints To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling, with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, and whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you, and Lord, I thank you for your word which is so sacred. God, these are Your words spoken to us. Lord, I pray that You would give us, by the power of Your Holy Spirit, humble, receptive hearts to hear it and to know You and to be changed and to see Jesus more and know Jesus more and love Him more. Because Jesus, you are, You're worth it, Jesus. You are glorious. Let us see more of you this morning. Help me preach in a way that honors you and makes Jesus look as great as He truly is. In Jesus' name, Amen. In the passage that we're going to be studying this morning, Paul is hes primarily talking about his own ministry to the Colossians and his struggle for them and for the Gospel of Jesus. But this passage, passage it's full of application i think also for us this passage is hopefully going to help you see and help me see how you can pray for us as your pastors as application for me as a pastor it also has applications for us as we minister to one another and so even though paul is just mainly talking about his own ministry. This applies to us in a number of different ways, and I hope you're going to see that this morning. And the first point that Paul makes is we suffer for the sake of Christ. We suffer for the sake of Christ. And in verse 24 he says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. And initially, when you read this, this can seem like a confusing verse. It makes it sound like Jesus' death wasn't enough somehow. Like, yo, wait a second here. Uh, Was something missing from Jesus' death? Was something, what's lacking? What does Paul say when he's, says, I'm filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions. What does that mean? That's not what Paul means here. He doesn't mean that Christ's sacrifice wasn't enough. The sacrifice of Jesus, it was completely and totally sufficient for our salvation. Nothing more needs to be added. Nothing more needs to be accomplished. It's done. It is finished. When Jesus said it is finished, he meant it. So what does Paul mean here? It seems like what Paul means here is that he is suffering in the place of Jesus, since Jesus is no longer here. Since Jesus was no longer physically present to suffer, Paul is suffering, in a sense, in his sake. And when Jesus walked the earth, he was attacked, he was afflicted, he was reviled, he was rejected, and he promised that those who follow him would experience the exact same thing. And William William Hendrickson just puts it this way. He says, the the arrows meant for Jesus now strike his followers. The arrows meant for Jesus now strike those who follow Christ. And so Paul now suffers on behalf of Jesus, and he endures persecution for the sake of Jesus, and for the sake of Jesus' church. And because Jesus is no longer physically present to suffer for his people, Paul and every other Christian who follows after Jesus, we suffer in His stead, for His sake. In a sense, we fill up His afflictions. And there's probably going to come a time when you will suffer for the sake of Jesus. Because Jesus promised it, and we need to be ready for it. And maybe you'll be mocked at your workplaces like the hoity-toity religious boy, or. You'll be at your classes at IUP and your professor will say that your faith is ridiculous. Or maybe you'll lose your job or your friends will think you're a moron. Or maybe some of you right now really are suffering for Jesus. Maybe your kids are distant from you because you follow Jesus. Or maybe there's division in your family because you follow Jesus. And there could come a day when we really could be physically persecuted for Jesus. It's happening all over the world. I'm grateful that right now we're not physically persecuted for Christ. But it could happen. And in those times, we need to remember that Jesus is so pleased when we suffer for him because when we suffer for Jesus we're making a loud statement to the world that says this Jesus is more valuable than my comfort Jesus is more valuable than my reputation Jesus is even more valuable than my job valuable than my job or my friendships and I prize Jesus above everything else and so if you're suffering right now for Jesus I want you to feel his pleasure in you this morning He wants you to be encouraged this morning. Because that means you're doing the right thing. That means you're following hard after Jesus. And Paul experienced suffering. And we will too. And to drive home his point, Paul wants to assure the Colossians that Jesus really is worth suffering for. And so in verses 25 and 26, he says this, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the Word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to His saints. Paul received a call from God to be a steward. Now, steward, that we don't normally use that word today. So what does what's a steward? What does a steward do? A steward is someone who... Watches over and carefully guards and makes good use of someone else's property. Steward is someone who takes charge of something that belongs to someone else and wisely uses it. And so Paul had received this call from God to be a steward of the gospel. In other words, Paul was supposed to be, a, to in some ways, be a guardian of the Gospel, and to proclaim the Gospel and preach the Gospel and to make sure that it wasn't diluted by false teaching and to make sure that He proclaimed it to as many people as possible. God had, in a sense, entrusted Paul with this sacred message of salvation, of forgiveness, of redemption. And Paul says, I'm called to be a steward and to make the Word of God fully known. And it was a sacred, holy calling. And in a sense, a very limited sense. This is what we're called to as pastors, as your pastors. We're called to steward God's Word. To proclaim it faithfully. To proclaim the truth from God's Word. And to not sway from that. And to proclaim Jesus Christ. And one of the temptations that's always around today, I'm I'm sure it's always been around, but there's always the temptation to want to make things seem cool, or more cool, or more relevant, or awesome. And we always want to stay on the God-given task of proclaiming the Word of Jesus Christ and the message of the Gospel. And so I would just ask you, probably the most valuable thing you could do for us as pastors is to pray for us. Could you please pray for us that God would help us to be faithful stewards? Because Satan would love it if we stopped proclaiming God's Word. Satan would love that. That'd be great. As long as we weren't teaching Jesus Christ, Satan would be good with that. So would you please just pray that God would help us to be faithful to the task. We, we covet your prayer so very much. And Lord willing, from today, for the, as long as we're pastors, we're going to be preaching the center, Jesus Christ, and only Jesus Christ and Him exalted. And we need your prayer so that we stay on task. Would you be willing to do that for us? I know you will. Thank you. Now, just how valuable is this Gospel? How precious is it? How precious is the Gospel? Paul, he calls it a mystery. And when Paul uses the word mystery, he doesn't use it like we normally use it. Like He's not talking about like some mysterious thing shrouded in darkness and fog, like the conclusion of a Stephen King novel. That's not how Paul uses the word mystery. That's not usually how mystery is used in the Bible. Usually the word mystery... It means a truth about God and a revelation about salvation that had not been revealed before, but now has been revealed. That in times past, it, there was a sense where God had not revealed something yet, but now He has revealed it. So, what is this mystery? What is this thing that God has revealed? What is Paul so willing to die for and suffer for and struggle for? Look at verse 27. This verse is incredible. It says, to them, he's talking about the saints if you look at the previous verse, the Christians, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Now here it is, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And Paul, he says that this mystery is rich. It's a treasure. It's glorious. It's the treasure chest quivering at the hinges with riches. And that incredible mystery is Christ Himself in us. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the One who sustains the world and keeps the stars in orbit, somehow dwells in us and we dwell in Him. Isn't that incredible? God Himself dwells within us. And we have this real, true, dynamic presence of Jesus Christ in our life. And that really does change everything. Doesn't that blow your mind? Christ in you. Jesus Christ, the one the Bible calls the fountain of life, the source of eternal life, the one who upholds all things, created all things, dwells with us and in us. And the Bible calls this our union with Christ. We are so closely connected. You are so closely connected to Jesus if you are a Christian that His real life flows into you. He is in us. We have a unique, intimate, close relationship with God Himself. And it says He is the hope of glory. Jesus Christ is our hope of glory. And this means that because Christ is in us, we can be assured That we will be with Christ for all eternity. See, He's going to return in this old, broken, charred, distorted, messed up world that's full of sin. He's going to return and He's going to remake it. And He's going to have, we're going to have a new heavens and a new earth. And Jesus Christ Himself will dwell in the new heavens and the new earth. And we will be with Him for eternity and sin won't be there sin which just messes everything up and which just makes life so lousy sometimes all the time it'll be gone and we will be with christ in the new heavens and the new earth for eternity that's the hope of glory isn't that an incredible hope to have this life is not the end And man, would that be depressing if this life was all we had because life gets really lousy sometimes. But we'll be in the presence of Christ for all eternity. No more sin. No more sickness. No more ruin. And we'll have a wonderful, glorious, close, satisfying fellowship with Jesus, seeing Him and being with Him for all eternity. And do you notice, look at the word Paul uses. He says, to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles. Now, why does he say that? See, the word in, in the Bible, the word Gentile simply meant anyone who was not Jewish. And so anyone who's not Jewish, is, the, the term given is Gentile. And throughout all of the Old Testament, It was the Jewish people who had God's special presence with them. They were God's unique, special people. And they had God's real presence in their midst. First, with Moses, they had the tabernacle. And then, with Solomon, there was the temple. And in both of these places, there was this sacred room called the Most Holy Place. And that was where God's presence was. And one time a year, one person, the Jewish high priest, could go into that place, could go into the place where God's presence was, and he could offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. And if you wanted to be included among God's people, you had to become, in a sense, you had to convert to Judaism. If you were a Gentile who wanted to know the true God, you had to convert to Judaism. But don't think for a second that you get to go into the most holy place. In fact, almost all the Jews and none of the Gentiles got to go into the most holy place. That was where God's presence was. And it was a sacred place. And He had to go in offering sacrifices. But now, because Christ has died and has risen again, and He offered one sacrifice for all time... Now all people can have, not just that they could go into a room where God's presence was, we have God's presence dwelling in us. Isn't that incredible? We don't have to go somewhere. We don't have to offer a sacrifice. We don't have to rely on someone else to go into God's presence for us. We have the presence of Jesus Christ living in us. The hope of glory. That is incredible. That is mind-blowing. And it's not just for the Jews anymore. It's for all people. And that, Is the hope. That is our hope. That is the hope of glory. That is what Christ offers. He offers Himself. And so if you have trusted in Christ, you have Christ in you, you are united to the Son of God, and you have full access. Not partial access, not 90% access, not once a year, twice a year access. You have full access to the presence of God. And that's worth fighting for. That's worth contending for. And some of you... Here, I know in a a room this size that some of you here, you don't know Jesus Christ. You've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You've never made Him your King. And you feel like something is missing in your life. And there's this song by John Mayer that haunts me every time I listen to it. It makes me really sad every time I listen to it. Because John Mayer... He goes and he talks in these verses. In the verses of the song, he talks about how he has everything that a person should need for happiness. He has everything. But then when he gets to the chorus, he says, Something's missing, and I don't know what it is. And every time I listen to that song, I want to scream, John, you're missing Jesus. Oh, if. I just wish I had ten minutes to sit down with him and tell him what he's missing. Say, look, you ask the question, here's what you're missing. And some of you are aware that you're desperately missing something in your life and that something you're missing is Jesus. You need Jesus Christ. You need Him to save you from the guilt of your sins. And you need Him to to save you from the power of your sins. And you need Him to satisfy you with joy that this world cannot give. So I just want to ask you and plead with you today. Don't keep waiting to find out what's missing. I'll tell you what's missing. It's Jesus. Come to Him today and say, Jesus, please be King of my life. Because you can't be a good King of your own life. You need Jesus to be the King of your life. And when He is King, then it's, we don't have to say something's missing because we have Christ. He's the hope of glory. He's the one who satisfies us. So please, if you have questions about this, I would love to talk to you more at the end. And because Jesus Christ is so valuable, he has to be the center of our message. Look down at verses 28 and 29. Paul says, Him, meaning Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil. Struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Because true spiritual life and true spiritual change come only through Jesus, then we need to always proclaim. Jesus. That's why Paul says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom. There's a sense where he he warns people and, and teaches them and proclaims Christ among them. And as our pastors, his desire, look first look at Paul's look at Paul's desire, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And our our desire as pastors is that every single one of you would be mature. In Christ, Steady, firm, strong in Christ Jesus. Knowing how to live a life pleasing to the Lord. And the only way to do that is by staying constantly connected to Jesus. The way to be mature in Christ. If you want to be mature in Christ, you must be constantly connected to Jesus. That's why Jesus said in John 15... If you have your Bible, flip over to John 15, verse 4. Jesus said, Abide in Me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in Me. In other words, what Jesus was saying, if you want to bear fruit when the word, when the Bible uses the word fruit, it 's simply talking about good works that please God, and he says, if you want to to bear fruit that is pleasing to God, then there's one thing you have to do: you must stay close to me. He uses the word abide, and we don 't use that word very often, but it 's a, a word that means stay close, stay with, you know abide with Jesus, stay closely connected to jesus and so in our church, Christ is going to be our constant theme in the songs we sing, in what we preach, and how we pray for one another, and what we talk about in our small groups. Jesus has to be at the center of our ministry. And can I encourage you? This has application for you too. Can you make Jesus the center of your ministry as well? Here's what I mean by this. I, I think is let me give you an example. As parents. So often I think we feel like, you know, I have three little girls, four, two, and five months or something like that, a around there. It's hard for me to do math when we're not into years yet. Um, I think we can, as parents, we think we can make our kids be godly if we can just get them to behave in a certain way. If we can just get them to do the right things, then they will be Godly. But that's not true. That, that's nothing more than behavior modification. What our kids need is to be connected to Jesus. That's what they need the most. And so our job as parents is to help our kids see how every situation connects to Jesus. How Jesus connects to every situation in their life. And so how Jesus can give them power to overcome selfishness. How Jesus can help them bless kids at school when they're being made fun of. How Jesus can, well most importantly, how Jesus brings forgiveness and spiritual life and how they need Jesus. And so our job as parents, it's not behavior modification, it's connecting our kids to Jesus. And so, by no means have I gotten this down and there's times when I'm just like, would you please stop doing that? But there's also times when God helps me. And like with my daughter, Karis, I'll say, Karis, you really need to pray and ask Jesus to help you right now because you're having a really bad attitude. Now, that doesn't mean we don't do what we're called to do in terms of disciplining our children, instructing them, teaching them, raising. But ultimately, they need to be connected to Jesus and see their need for Jesus. Or here's another example. Husbands and wives... Help each other. We need to help each other connect to Jesus. How does Jesus connect to a tight budget or a conflict or children that are disrespectful? Care group leaders. Help folks in your care group connect Christ to their situation. See, my temptation, and I think this is the temptation of every guy especially, is I'm just a like, quick, I'm like a solutions guy. Like, what well, did you try this? Well, how about this? What well, did you try this? So if someone's having, say, a conflict, I'm immediately trying to think through, okay, solutions. What do you need to do? What do we, how do we solve this? How do we fix this? Oh, that's not the first place to go. The first place to go is, how does Jesus meet us in the midst of this situation? How does Jesus come into this situation? Students, help your friends. Help your friends see, how does Jesus connect to a relationship they're in? How does Jesus connect to being overwhelmed by classes? And when I say Jesus, here's what I want to make clear, and I'll talk more about this later. It's not just Jesus, but it's Jesus and His Word. See, the main way Jesus speaks to us is through His Word. So how does Christ connect to whatever situation I'm going through? And we can know when we do this, when we minister to one another, we can know that God will give us strength to do the hard work. It's hard work to do this. It's hard work to repeatedly do this with your kids. It's hard work when you feel like you're having the same conflict you've had many times before. But Paul says, "I, where's the verse? He says, verse 29, For this I toil, struggling with all His energy, that He powerfully works within me. So in other words, Paul works hard. And he labors and he toils and he struggles, knowing that God's at work within him. And so Paul's tired. He's exhausted. But he knows that God's giving him strength to keep doing the work. So we work hard knowing Christ is at work in us. And Paul was willing to suffer for the sake of Jesus because he knew that Jesus was worth it. And the second point is that Paul was willing to struggle for Jesus and that we must struggle for Jesus. I know this sounds similar to the first point, but we're going to see some differences. Look down at verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. Paul cares so much for the health, the spiritual health of the believers at Colossae that he says he struggles for them. Now I was thinking about this. Paul, do you know where Paul was when he wrote this letter? He was in prison. And he had actually never... Probably, I should say probably, never been to Colossae. And he didn't start the church in Colossae. So how could he possibly be struggling for them? And it seems like what he means there is he is struggling in prayer for them. He is wrestling in prayer. And he cares so much about their spiritual health. And he is concerned because it seems that false teachers were coming into the church and he says, I struggle you and I can imagine Paul in his jail cell kneeling and a labored look on his face as he's whispering his prayers to God and sweat dripping off his forehead as he's praying with such intensity he feels like he's in a battle he's praying his heart out for these people at Colossae and this is challenging to me and I think it should be challenging to you too because if. If this is how, how Paul felt about these believers that he had never met, if he was willing to labor and struggle for them, how much more should we do that for one another here in the church? If this was Paul's attitude toward people he had never met, I struggle for you. I want that to be my attitude with all of you here in the church. And I would hope that's our attitude for one another. We care so much about the spiritual health of one another that we struggle in prayer for one another. We feel like we go to battle for one another. And I know you guys do this. You all do such a wonderful job of doing this. But let's just allow this to stir us up even more, to be struggling for one another in prayer. Let's pray our hearts out for one another. And look at what Paul prays for. He says in verse 2, that their hearts, he's talking about what he prays for, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul prays, he prays that their hearts would be encouraged. And this should inform how we pray for one another. Because isn't it so easy to get discouraged? We just get discouraged so easily. Life is really hard sometimes. And we go through trials and people get sick. And it's just tough sometimes. And so Paul prays that they would be encouraged. And we are prone to doubt God's promises. We're prone to interpret life through our circumstances. And so Paul, when he goes to struggle in prayer, he prays, Lord, encourage them. And we should be regularly praying that God would encourage our fellow Christians. Lord, encourage them as they're sick. Remind them of your faithfulness. Remind them, Lord, as they're going through this tight time with money that you always provide. Remind them as their house hasn't sold yet that you're going to be faithful. Struggle for their encouragement. And then he also prays that the church would be knit together, knit tightly together in love. Now remember, this was a church that was in danger from like false teaching and heretics coming in. And you would think that Paul would pray, Lord, drive out the heretics. Drive them out, God. But that's not actually what he prays. He prays that they would be knit together in love. That's his primary prayer, and it seems like one of the greatest defenses for a church. If a church is going to be strong and going to have a strong defense against false teaching, one of the strongest defenses is if we are knit together in love, if we have deep affection for one another. And so Paul prays that the whole church would be woven together like chain mail, woven together to stand against the arrows of Satan. And that should be our prayer, that our hearts would be knit together in love for one another. Because that will protect us as a church. And I think there is it's true that in some ways the health of our church is dependent on your prayers. The health and strength of our church against the arrows of Satan comes through your prayers. So can, can I ask you, please, pray that we would be knit together in love. Satan loves division. He loves it when people split apart. He loves it when people start arguing and fighting with one another. And so can we pray, Lord, knit us together with your love for each other. And if there's someone you're struggling with and you just struggle to love, can I encourage you to lift that to God and say, Lord, knit me together with them in love. And ask God to do that. And that's one of, we pray this so regularly for the church. We as pastors, we get together and we just pray, Lord, give us all your affection for one another. Give us the affection of Christ for one another. Because when we're knit together in love, and we stand against Satan's defenses. And then finally, Paul prays that they would have full understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. He says, "In whom are hidden?" He says, "Knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in Christ is found." All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. When the Bible talks about wisdom and knowledge, what it's usually talking about is learning how to live in this world, in God's world, in a right way. Learning how to walk through life with all its difficulties and minefields. Learning how to walk through life in a way that pleases the Lord. And all true spiritual wisdom and knowledge is found in Christ. Do you ever wonder why there's so many self-help books these days? I think the reason is because people are trying, desperately trying to figure out, how do I make it through this world, this confusing world? How do I make it through life? Because life is hard. And people are looking for solutions everywhere. And what the Bible says is that the only place to find true wisdom and understanding is through Jesus and through His words to us. And so if you try to live apart from Jesus, if you try to have wisdom on your own apart from Jesus, you will not make it. You might make a lot of money, you might have a great job, but you won't have true spiritual understanding and you'll still be a slave to your sin. And your relationships will be fractured. Because when your life doesn't orbit around Jesus, just everything gets whacked out. When your life doesn't orbit around Jesus, things will not go well. And for those of us who do know Christ, we still need to be regularly drawing on the riches of His wisdom found here in His Word. In Christ are all the treasures and riches of wisdom. And if we're not regularly drawing on those riches, we're going, to get, we're going to get sidetracked. We're going to get Paul said, look at what he, why he said it. He said, I pray this so you don't get deluded by plausible arguments. And this world is full of things that, ideas that apart from Christ, seem plausible, in other words, believable. And all kinds, of, all kinds of lies. Apart from Christ, it does make sense to go for all the money you can get. It does make sense to live for all the pleasure you can have. And if we're not regularly finding wisdom and searching out the wisdom of Christ, we are in danger of being deluded by plausible arguments. So can I encourage you, regularly get God's Word into you. I don't care how you do it. I don't care whether it's listening to it on your way to work or reading it or have someone else read it to you if you don't like reading. But get God's Word into you because I want you to be firm in your faith in Christ. I want to be able to rejoice and say, they are firm. And so many of you are already doing this. You're already firm. This isn't a correction. But we want you to be firm in your faith, unshaken by the lies of this world. And the way to do that is by going to the One in whom are found all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So what I'd like to do now is, I'd like to, I'd like to pray... Because Christ is worth fighting for, He's worth struggling for. So I want to pray. I want to ask God to do that. And then I think instead of singing a song at the end, I just want to. I'm going to ask the care group leaders and and the prayer team to come on up. And we want you to have not to feel like you have to rush off to get your kids out of children's ministry. We want to make time to pray for you because Paul was desperately praying for the Colossians, and it seems right and fitting to close this by in a sense struggling for one another and struggling in prayer for one another. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray and then we're going to dismiss and then I would like, I just would like you to come up. If you need prayer for anything, if anything in the message struck you as, wow, that, that strikes a chord with me, that's God convicting me, we want to pray for you. Because we believe God does real amazing things through prayer. So would you stand with me as I close in prayer? Lord, we... We thank You, Father, that we have Christ in us, the hope of glory. Thank You, Lord, that Your presence dwells in us. We don't have to go somewhere, but Your presence is in us, Lord. What an incredible thing to have. What a treasure we have. Help us see more and more what a treasure it is that we have Christ dwelling in us. And Lord, I pray that this week, that we would just have full understanding of the riches of wisdom that are in Christ. That we would know Christ more. That we would love Christ more. That we would treasure Christ more. That we would stand for Christ. That those who are suffering for Christ would be encouraged. Thank You, Father. Lord, I pray that as we go out, I pray Your richest blessing on these people Pray that You would bless them and fill them with the Spirit this week so that they are keenly aware that You are dwelling within them and that they would have sweet fellowship with You this week. Thank You, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen.